Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Planet Film Network. I am one of your hosts, Sean Monk. And I'm brother host, TJ Cornwell. And tonight, we'll be talking about a few different things. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. what we've been watching, we're going to start off with that. Uh, we're also going to go into some box office. Um, and then I think the majority of tonight, we're going to be talking the strike, uh, both writers and uh, actors' strike. Mm-hmm. And probably talk about you know how that affects, obviously, the strikers and you know, the, what they're striking for and, you know, what the, I'd say, probably disagreement between the two kind of sides is. So that should be very, very interesting to get into. But first, of course, like I said, we're going to start with uh, what we've been watching. And actually, real quick, before we go to that, <clears throat> uh, there was a lot of discourse. Uh, and Me and Sean talked about this like a few minutes ago. There's a lot mm-hmm. of discourse in the past few days about, you know, who can make I don't know really how to phrase this. Who can make content about, you know, movies and uh, reviews, et cetera, if, you know, if you're looking to get into SAG in the future or, you know, you're a part of SAG. And, you know, there's a lot been a lot of, like, debate as far as, you know, at least influencers go, um, mm-hmm. especially on TikTok. You know, can they make content on, you know, new movies? Can they go into new contracts with studios to promote new movies or can they finish out their current contracts and just obviously you know we probably don't need to say this but we'll probably talk about it anyway uh we don't really apply to any of that stuff uh, mm-hmm. i believe there's like a listing on the sag website talking about you know reactors yes. or reviewers on youtube something like that i think that's more where we fall in uh, and basically for that, it, none of this really applies to us from what we can understand, what we understand and what we've seen online as well. Uh, so we're just going to, we're going to keep talking about, you know, the movies that are coming out. We're going to keep discussing, uh, you know, new movies and et cetera. Um, but just wanted to like lay that out there just cause you know, there's been a lot of, com- uh, confusion over the past few days. <clears throat> yeah. And I've seen, you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of channels out there, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of channels out there that unfortunately, you know, are a, a lot more heavily affected by this. I mean, L.A. based people and New York based people and everything like that, that some potentially are in SAG, some potentially are what they call pre SAG, which is, you know, they've been in a couple of projects. They just have for one reason or another, haven't either been accepted yet, still in review or anything like that. And so a lot of this stuff applies to all of those people and whether it's considered struck work which is what the i guess the official term or designation is is you know it's struck companies struck work and struck projects so one example you know i listened to force center uh with joseph scrimshaw jennifer landa and ken knapsack uh great star wars podcast out there they uh one one of them is sag one of them is pre-sag and one of them is in the directors and writers guild and is works with sag so they unfortunately it was a great podcast to listen to talking about it they're not going to stop talking about star wars but a great example of how this is all going to work is they really have no choice but to not cover ahsoka period because that that just gets into too dicey of territory you know for sag to potentially view that as as uh promoting you know struck work just because where is the line between promoting and criticism you know it i think it depends on person to person and project to project sometimes but yeah i think uh you know we're just gonna keep on chugging along here if if the tides shift if there's a major swing to again 
something that eventually the SAG strike, if it drags on too long or anything like that, something that SAG could start to call for is, you know, potentially boycotting these studios, just full out the Writers Guild as well. But just if this really drags out, we could be looking at these these unions begging the rest of the country to boycott these studios if it comes to that point. So if something like that were to happen, obviously, you know, we'd reassess everything like that. If if the line in the sand is drawn, like, even clearer of, hey, we really don't want anybody out there doing anything about this. You know, even then, you know, we're not a part of the unions per se or anything like that. So, you know, I think we just got to kind of play it by ear. But for now... You know, I don't think you have to worry about anything leaving other than the fact, uh, and TJ, I'm going to kind of wrap this into what we've been watching, but I just want to get your thoughts. I want to check in really quick if I can try to salvage this pivot as much as I can. Uh, some of you may have noticed that a certain piece of content has stopped on the channel, and that is the uh, Secret Invasion episode reviews. Mm. Uh, I did not put one out for episode four. Where are you at with this show right now? And we got four people watching right now. Let us know where are you guys at with Secret Invasion? Are you still on the Secret Invasion train? Are you excited for it? Is Marvel just not kind of doing it for you lately? Mm-hmm. Where Where are you at with this show, TJ? Man, I got to really think back. Uh, I think I texted you that I thought mm-hmm. this was probably the worst episode uh, so far yeah. of the season. Yeah, that was all um, we've talked about it. Yeah, a lot of it just I feel like kind of – kind of happening very messy i guess mm-hmm. i thought the best the best if i can speak positively the best part of the episode for me was uh between fury and his wife uh sitting Ooh. at the kitchen table and that kind of tension building but with the two guns and mm-hmm. the shooting and you know we're looking around the apartment we don't know what happened uh and it does turn out that i'll tell you for me were, that just fine. fell flat completely yeah. I was just sitting there like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, And then when nothing even happened, I was like, yeah. uh, but then I saw yeah. some reviews that were like, that was so poignant and beautiful. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, for we me, just that met was the this best, character in the episode best part of ago. the episode uh, in the lackluster episode. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole kind of, I thought the worst part of it was the end kind of battle sequence, the last 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. That all felt very messy to me. No, I, I you know, there was no, you know, we saw the president once uh, before this, this episode of yeah. the show. And then we kind of get this plan where it's like, well, when was this talked about? Like, wh- when were we talking about going after the president and, you know, blowing up his motorcade and all the Like, this just, I don't know. It just I hadn't kind of even felt thought like, about it like that, but yeah. Yeah, it was just like, when did we decide we were doing this? And then, you know, we have uh, Gravik. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's now a super scroll, I would say. He's got his Groot arms. When did he, when did they, you know, when did they get all those powers? I know, like, we saw, like, the whole kind of. Same time Gaia did, I guess. I guess. Off screen you know, is what off I Off screen, which I, I just hate. It's like, yeah. show us, like, you know, him getting his power. Who else got the powers, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And the whole kind of, yeah. last thing I'll say real quick, the whole uh, roadie kind of reveal. I, I saw it on TikTok. Uh, so, you know, it, I wasn't that surprised, but even then it kind of fell flat for me. I thought that mm-hmm. it was a woman scroll was interesting. I thought that was an interesting kind of twist there, but, uh, yeah, the whole kind of reveal kind of was like, eh, okay. You know, I, it does make me wonder how long he, that she's been impersonating Rhodey though. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a logical 
question to have of just like, oh, how long is it? Same same way that we've had with, you know, Everett Ross in the very beginning of the show. But I think I've just come to the realization that I don't think the show cares to tell us. Mm-hmm. I just really feel like it's it's this pattern now. And I've liked a lot of the Disney Plus shows, but some of them I have, like, loved. And I think that they are, like, well and clear above the other ones. But, you know, a lot of them just fall into this category where, like, tonight we're about to get the fifth episode. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like at this point in the season, like, we should be knowing a lot more of where we're at. Like, a lot more should be going on. Like, I don't even really understand still the what i feel like the question at the heart of this show is which is okay fury failed in his promise why did he fail in his promise why didn't he find them a home and i feel like the show's just not gonna answer Mm -hmm. that and i'm like what the hell like it's very very weird to me but yeah i mean i i think i'll definitely check back in with it uh who knows if tonight's episode uh, is really really good you know i'll probably throw up a video on on the channel probably tomorrow night but for now i think i'm a little uh just less enthusiastic on secret mm-hmm. invasion uh as a whole before but we TJ, continue yeah. can you just go into my uh can you just click on my camera and just raise my volume like t- 20 yeah. or something <clears throat> yeah just to follow up real quick uh yeah i don't really know where we're going I've, mm-hmm. It sucks because it started off really well. I felt like, and I was like, "We're back," you know. We we we're, we're back after a slew of kind of few misses. Uh, Mar- the MCU is back, and you know, and I think another thing too. Uh, I think when the episode originally came out, you were like, "It's only you know thirty five minutes." Like you you had set the precedent early with the first, I think, two episodes that they were like yeah. fifty to an hour. Or maybe mm-hmm. it was just the first episode. And then you go back to the shorter run times. It's like, what? Just. It's like a bait and, it, and switch. Yeah. And just let us get, you know, some more time with these characters. Again, Olivia Coleman. I don't know what, like, why is she even in this show? Was she <laughs> even in this episode? That's what I'm trying. I don't think she was. She's only been in two of them. And she's only in the first one. I think she was in the first one. It was only there. For, she was only mm-hmm. there for like five minutes. Yeah, and, like, another thing that I'm just remembering, too, is just, like, we're just, it's, like, it's it's this thing that I think a lot of these Marvel Disney Plus shows have had of we are just, like, zooming through big stuff and mm-hmm. and just, like, stewing in stuff that I feel like we don't need to be stewing in. Like, right. we, like last episode, not, not the episode that just aired, but episode three, there was a, a whole thing with the U.N., plane was gonna get shot down with a nuclear missile and we like dealt with that and wrapped it up in like 12 and a half minutes and then it's like nobody's talking about it like nobody's like oh my god like thank god that that was averted you know Mm -hmm. but oh my god now we're dealing with this president it's like the show is just like following nick fury through these big events that are happening to him of like you know, just yesterday I avoided a nuclear missile attack, and now today I'm saving the president in his convoy. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I feel like we're just kind of bouncing from, like, thing that happened to thing that happened. Right. And then, in particular, I think what happens at the end of this episode, uh, which I guess I'll refrain from spoiling, but the big thing that happens at the end of this episode to a certain character, like, I don't even have faith that that's going to be true or that it's going to mm-hmm. stick. 
or, you know, whatever you might want to say about it. And personally, I hope that it doesn't. Like, I would like to see a continuation with that. But I just think that, like, big stuff like that is just kind of being treated so, like, kind of, like, nonchalantly. Like, the roadie reveal, it's not like, oh, my God, you know, Fury really trusted him in this series. And then, you know, in episode four, we find out that Rhodey's a scroll. It's like from the moment that we see Rhodey this season, he's being antagonistic towards Fury. Right. So it's like he just went from being an antagonist to being a villain. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <laughs> well, that's not very interesting. Like if he had like been like, Nick, listen, I'm on the inside. I'm pulling for you, you know, but you got to get your act together, you know, and then maybe they team up to stop that. Maybe it's maybe it's Fury and Rhodey and Talos, maybe all three of them you know, team up to stop uh, the uh, the nuclear attack or something like that. So you really trust Rhodey. And then the reveal happens. You know, then it's really, you know, uh, it's it's earned more so in the exact same amount of screen time. You know, just by changing, you know, how how the, the, uh, the plot unfolds with him, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's been interesting, but, you know, not the best quickly in chat michelle says i'm still excited about secret invasion i am following it or i'm allowing it to play out before i make any final decisions on it if this falls flat completely at the end it will be uh, a big disappointment because i really wanted this big show for fury and all this being worth uh his wanting to come back to earth so far i'm not seeing it uh yeah i think that's very fair i think that's very fair uh tj do you want to start off with uh some stuff that you have been watching? Uh, well, I could if I'd watched anything. Okay. Just real quick. Uh, so, watched literally no movies since Mission Impossible, unfortunately. I was going to watch Big Short earlier today. I just didn't get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as a rewatch. Uh, no shows I've watched. Uh, I have not progressed any farther in uh, I Am In Love With A Mama's Boy uh, to report. But, yeah, that's it. Other than Secret Invasion, I think that's the only thing I watched. I started, mm-hmm. I did start Heat 2, because uh, I was interested. There you go. Uh, you know, I really like the original Heat, so decided to pick this one up. Good so far. I'm only like 30 pages in, so I can't really give you any any other thoughts. But, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, last night I finished One Temple in Tears of the Kingdom, finally. I finished The Wind Temple. Very, Boom. very fun. Still a lot more game to go, but I'm making progress, so happy to report that. But that's all for me. That's all I got. Fair enough. Uh, I will just say really quick here, probably clip this out into a into a TikTok. Uh, the only movies that I have watched uh, are, in fact, the Mission Impossible film franchise, mm-hmm. uh, which I was uh, staying away from before we watched uh dead reckoning part one just because i didn't want to do the typical where i'll like rewatch an entire series leading up to the new one i wanted to just go Mm -hmm. into dead reckoning like kind of i don't know if fresh is the right right word but just kind of like without all the baggage of of the entire franchise being like so fresh in my mind uh and i really enjoyed that i thought i thought that was a great way to see it but uh i did have i had like two and a half technically days off really technically like 72 hours of you know time uh but i had a lot of time off work it between schedules and it just really worked out for me so i was able to watch a lot of stuff which uh was mainly the mission impossible movies which i will go through really quick here uh which i just realized i do not have there we go uh so 
this is as of right now, including Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning uh, Part 1, I have at number 7, Mission Impossible 2. Didn't really do it for me. I get the whole John Woo factor. I get that it's a very stylized thing, that if you're into that, you're into that. Doesn't really work for me. Next up, this might be unfair in my rewatch, just because I think it's sandwiched between two really excellent Mission Impossible movies, but in it, mm. it in itself is excellent. I put Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol at number 6, which wow. is lower than I had it previously. But number 5, I have Mission Impossible 1. Uh, Brian De Palma, I think, fantastic entry to this franchise. Some beautiful shots, some really interesting camera work, everything like that. And I also just think for a movie that's almost 30 years old, it just looks fantastic. Uh, number 4, I have Mission Impossible 3. So J.J. Abrams... Uh, you know, first introduction of Michelle Monaghan in this uh, first introduction of Benji with mm -hmm. Simon Pegg, a uh, character that I've really come to love. So Mission Impossible 3. Also, some great action and some great uh, tension. And Philip Seymour Hoffman gives a fantastic performance. Top three, number three, Mission Impossible 5 Rogue Nation for me. I think uh, really, really fantastic. Somebody who is an unsung hero in both Rogue Nation and Fallout is, I think, Alec Baldwin. I think coming in in five, him and Jeremy Renner, they're kind of back and forth. Their antagonism, uh, antagonism? Yeah. Their antagonism uh, towards each other, I think, really, really is a fun kind of interplay throughout the movie. But I also just think that the movie itself is fantastic. Number two, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, I have as my mm -hmm. second favorite of the franchise. Still want to see it a couple more times. I'm definitely going to see it a couple of more times, but really, really enjoyed it. But for me, it does not yet beat out my number one spot, which I think is still held by the 2018 king of Mission Impossible 6, Fallout. Rewatching this, I mean, Henry Cavill, Vanessa Kirby being introduced, um, continuing the great character of Ilsa Faust uh, that was introduced in Rogue Nation with Rebecca Ferguson. So, so much great stuff in there. Again, Alec Baldwin, fantastic in this one as well. Uh, some really, really great scenes with him and Henry Cavill. Angela Bassett, also uh, really good in this. But, you know, the stunts, everything's beginning, middle, and end, start to finish. I just think that Fallout is the best one. And I will be interested to see if uh, Mission Impossible 8 uh, will be able to top it. But, yeah, that is where I've been with that. And then in terms of watching stuff... Uh, the other two things that I have watched is Jury Duty and Hijack. So Jury Duty uh, got a couple of Emmy nominations. And, I mean, if you want to later on, if we run out of stuff to talk about, we could mm -hmm. talk about the Emmy nominations too. But most likely because of the strikes, the Emmys are being pushed way, way back. So it's going to be a long time before we even get to the Emmys. But nonetheless, Jury Duty was nominated for, I believe, uh, Best Limited Comedy Series and James Marsden was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a uh, limited series. I really, really love Jury Duty. Do you know anything about this show? Now, <laughs> question. Looking at your letterbox, yeah. which Jury Duty? That is not the real, that okay, is not that's the real I one. That's, I just did that to remind <laughs> myself. No, but yeah. no, I, I, I've heard of it. I have not watched it. So, do you know, like, what it is about, though? Yes, Like, what the conceit of the show is? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh... Basically, this show, so it's on Prime Video, 
Uh, it was on, I think it's called Freevee, Freevee yep. uh, which is their, like, free arm of Prime Video, the, essentially. The rebrand but if of you... IMDb TV. Oh, okay, there you go. It's the rebrand of IMDb TV. Uh, but if you have just straight up Amazon Prime, it is you can also just plug it, plug it in and watch it right on there. And it's only, I think it's eight episodes, and they're about 25 to 30 minutes each. And basically, it is this entire process from start to finish of jury selection through the trial up to the end of the trial the only thing is the guy the main guy is a real guy and every single other person is an actor and the whole thing is it's loosely scripted but it's mostly improv and the big you know kind of key about it is james marston Mm -hmm. uh james marston is in this series and he plays himself and he is fantastic, and he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series, and I think that he really deserves it. The places that he kind of goes to, playing this kind of parody version of himself almost, but also, like, keeping it feeling very real, like it is a very good performance, I think is just fantastic. Uh, really, really, really great series. Everybody that's been that's been hyping it up is, is telling the truth, uh, and yeah. Go watch it for sure on Amazon Prime. Cool. Uh, again, every week here, I feel like I'm talking about a different Apple TV Plus show. Uh, by the way, they got to get a better name than Apple TV Plus. They just got to they just got to call it like Apple Plus or something, mm-hmm. or just or just <laughs> Apple TV. But it's it's one too many one too many syllables for me. It was like CBS All Access. Right. I'm so glad they changed that to Paramount mm-hmm. Plus. Like it's just so so much better. But yeah. Apple TV Plus, another excellent show that I think I talked about a couple weeks back when it had its first episode out, but I am currently caught up again, and the new one comes out tonight, uh, of Hijack, starring Idris Elba. So again, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, that it is this show that is taking place over a six and a half hour plane flight, and the show's total runtime is six and a half hours, so it is from start to finish, this plane ride from Dubai back to London, uh, and it is it is a primarily uh, English cast, uh, like UK cast, uh, but there is a ton of stuff going on. It takes, again, it all takes place, you know, quotes, in real time, uh, but you're following the events of not just the people on the plane, but the people on the ground, the people investigating it, and then almost every episode they add a new layer uh, to the point where now, you know, we are dealing with, like, the UK interior, uh, you know, secretary, the, you know, we got a a little bit of a tease that perhaps uh, the prime minister is going to be alerted to this uh, by the next episode. So it's one of those things that it's, it's that minute of how much you're really going through this is, you know, this episode, one of the things they were dealing with was, hey, do we call the prime minister yet? And they were like, no, we need to wait for more information. And I just love that stuff, just kind of the inner workings of it is really fascinating to me and that's just what's on the ground the plane stuff uh is absolutely fantastic uh i think idris elba is giving a a phenomenal performance a ton of other uh supporting characters as well and supporting actors giving phenomenal performances in this uh as well so yeah really really liking hijack so far uh very much so uh but that is pretty much all i have been watching this week all right, I'll I'll say here. What are your plans? And we got seven people watching us, so let us know as well. Anybody watching right now? 
Also, first of all, I just want to say this really quick because we, on our live streams, we, we put it in our videos and our live streams, we almost never say this out loud. If you're watching us right now, give a like, give a give a chat in the live stream, give a subscribe. Uh, we are on our way to 600 subscribers thanks to you guys. Let us know, you know, what you guys want to see on the channel and everything. But while you're here, go ahead, hit that, and uh, thank you guys for joining us. But uh, what are your plans for Barbenheimer? Oh, How are you uh, seeing it? When are you seeing it? <clears throat> so as much as I would have loved to do a sort of double, double feature trouble. Uh, yeah. the same day, it's not going to happen just due to scheduling. Uh, we also have a wedding to go to this weekend, so it kind of makes you know time a little bit more uh, shortened Tight. and scarce. Uh, so mm -hmm. Thursday we are going to see Barbie, and then Friday we are going to see Oppenheimer. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Just quick question for you. This is this is uh, business related to your place of work. Uh, so I purchased tickets two separate days. I bought the tickets on the app for Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. So they showed up in my previous purchases, but when I bought them for Barbie, I bought them on my computer, and they don't show up in the app. Is that like normal? Are you log? Were you logged, logged in on in. both? Yes. Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe I wasn't. Oh. That that could well, be. There you go. Maybe I wasn't. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for solving um, my problem. Yeah, that, that's probably why. But yeah, I uh, I secured my tickets very uh, lucratively. I feel like to Oppenheimer first, which I am going. Oh uh, yeah, so I should just say as well. Uh, I am going on Friday uh to attempt the double feature but mm. i'm pretty sure it's going to be all good but tickets are limited uh i am going to see oppenheimer first at a 310 and then i'm going to go see barbie second uh mm -hmm. probably at like a seven o'clock or something like that okay um uh, but yeah i'm definitely doing oppenheimer first those tickets are locked in just because uh where I work in particular, uh, the the premium format that I work at uh, is very much selling out really? uh, every single show of every single day. So uh, it is going to be to want to feel the, the real word? bomb, not fun. Them, I think, uh, yeah, not not fun to work, but very fun to see it. Uh, but yeah, that that is that is the plan is to do the the full Barbenheimer experience. And that is only because I usually do have Fridays off, and I was able to get this Friday off. So, uh, very thankful for that. But yeah, who knows how many other? Maybe I'll see, you know, one of which another time. I don't know. But for me, honestly, right now, I'm more concerned about re being able to rewatch Mission Impossible after mm -hmm. after I see both of these upcoming movies, rather than seeing either of them again. Just because I really, really love Mission Impossible, but I don't know when. Uh, when I'm going to be able to squeeze in some some additional viewings, but I really want I really want to, but yeah. So we will uh, we will most likely have our reviews up uh, on the channel. We we'll, since we're not seeing it together, we're probably going to each have two separate ones. Also, you see it at the top of the screen there. Follow us at the official PFN on Twitter, uh, TikTok, and Instagram. TikTok especially, TJ has been putting up a bunch of different clips from our live streams and everything like that, a couple of our trailer reactions as well. And I know he'll probably put his out-of-the-theater reaction up for for the for Barbie or Oppenheimer, uh, and I will have uh, my out-of-theater reactions up on the channel for Barbie and Oppenheimer as well. Uh, so, yeah, let us know uh, in the chat what you guys are going to be doing. Danielle in the chats or Soul Soul Sanctum said with Noah Schnepp and Hook. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, if you can let us know, 
Uh, Danielle says, I love how both films are just promoting doing a double feature rather than trying to get people to see their respective film. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are, are seeing that as very refreshing, you know, maybe, what the heck? Uh, a lot of people are seeing that as, uh, very refreshing that, you know, when promotion was able to be done, uh, as of last week, uh, that a lot of people were, you know, a lot of the interviewers on the red carpet were asking everybody for both movies, you know, oh, what are you going to see first? It really does kind of feel like a good cross-pollination, cross, uh, you know, platform but also you know i think they realize that they obviously are counter programming to each other you know you look at this whenever star wars was coming out in december you know there would be a big studio comedy opening opposite it so that you know there would be different things for different people but also i think danielle makes a good point that this uh you know is kind of a unique thing where you wouldn't normally think that there would be crossover between these two audiences, but because they're both being made by two of the most powerhouse, you know, what, what, what am I even trying to say? Two of the most powerhouse and like, uh, biggest like fan bases, uh, directors out there right now, mm -hmm. uh, with Greta Gerwig and, and Christopher Nolan. I think, I think that helps a lot with a ton of people out there wanting to see both. And I know AMC, uh, the, the theater company was actually selling tickets to both, uh, as double features. And I think as of the last time I saw, there was like 25,000 tickets sold to the double feature that they were like selling the package of tickets, uh, which is insane. So, you know, I think it'll definitely do good in the box office. Uh, but let's transition over and, uh, actually I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to do, uh, a little box office first or talk a little uh, Barbie reactions first? Let's do box office first. All right. So we got a good amount to talk about here with box office, some interesting stuff, uh, some stuff that we've been tracking and some stuff that unfortunately has not gone the way that some of these studios have hoped, uh, which is not surprising at this point. But uh, we got to start off, TJ, all the way down at the lowly number of uh, – actually, you know what? I lied. Let's start – at 16 really quick because i want to talk about number 16 which actually doesn't even have a placement because it's so high up but that's guardians of the galaxy volume 3 wrapping up its entire run here uh with a total of about 840 wow. million dollars 839 uh, million dollars right now to be exact and i only bring that movie up because it's lasted in theaters still playing at my theater a ton of our local theaters here are still playing it we are dropping it this week but that's because uh it got in its official disney plus launch date which is august 2nd which is nice that's the nine-year anniversary of the first movie so i think that's very cool that they're doing it like that too and it just goes to show you you know, what is that? That's It was four full months in theaters. Four full months in theaters for this movie. And I think it just goes to show you that when you trust an audience, trust the release window, and not announce that it's going on Disney Plus a month later, you know, you can really maximize your numbers here. And I think they did just that. Speaking of uh, minimizing your numbers, number 13, The Flash, which is a movie that has already been uh dropped <laughs> by many of our local theaters we are no longer playing it i believe we're playing one 11 30 a.m show per day see? basically just to run it to meet our studio requirements with our film news? buyer yeah it's gonna be the first movie on blockchain did you see that uh announcement the other day yeah you could buy it as a blt 
sure. Don't know what that meant, but uh, right, NFT. NFT. No, there was like oh, a, okay. I don't know. It was something wow. with like, oh, here's this interactive adventure. Look around the. No, yeah, cave. I saw that. Yeah, they and were like, you can get deleted scenes, exclusive behind the scenes. It's like, oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Do you want to see more of this movie? No, but I will say to be fair, I was scrolling TikTok the other day, and I did open spoilers for the Flash. If mm-hmm. you haven't. Uh, you probably aren't going to see it. I did see a scene that reminded me that I'm going to rewatch this when it hits max because I saw the scene that was uh, younger Barry kind of having his or older Barry kind of having his like blow up moment at younger Barry where mm-hmm. he's like, you need to take this seriously because you are just being and it reminded me that for all the oh bad CGI and you know, is it the best superhero movie ever? No, Ezra Miller they are giving a pretty damn good performance in that movie. When when they're given the ability to, I, I do think that there yeah. are moments there, especially that one in particular, when younger Barry is just being annoying and everything, and the older Barry kind of, you know, reminds him of the significance of what is happening and that he's got to take stuff seriously. So I'll give the movie that. I, have I think enjoyed, it still does have its moments. I have enjoyed seeing the uh, HD, like CG uh shots of all the, yeah. the worlds colliding like the one of henry cavill yeah, and stuff. On, on twitter and uh yeah it looks really not good i've seen some like kind of the, you know, those, <laughs> those stan really accounts uh like mm-hmm. defending it or you know whatever and i think one of them was like <clears throat> something about like the nick cage superman and mm-hmm. the one tweet was like they like i can't believe they did this after nick cage was like you know, oh, I don't want to play Superman or something like that. Something about his career or whatever. And it's like they drag this out here and they show it to everybody like it's ridiculous or something. And I, I don't know. It was just like I like seeing people on Twitter try to, like, justify how good the uh, how maybe how certain scenes like kick ass in the flash or whatever. And it's like, mm. no, no, they just don't. They don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To me, I think like it's it's not. I don't know. It's like it's moments in the movie. Like when I'm thinking and as much as I did enjoy it the first time I saw it, the only time I saw it now, a couple weeks later, it's really just moments that are like sticking with me. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. like when the younger Barry gets his powers and he runs through the city and it's kind of this like happy, joyful thing. That to me was when the movie was the most like, wow, this is what a Flash movie can be. I really, really like that. Uh, but again, that's like 25 seconds of a two plus hour movie, but yeah, the flash absolutely bombing out of theaters entirely only at $260 million, uh, massive, massive disappointment to the studio. Another massive disappointment that we have to talk about really quick here is DreamWorks animation, their biggest bomb of their studio ever easily. Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, uh, closing out its box office run uh, with only $34 million on a, I believe, uh, reported $75 million budget. So really, really not a good look for that movie. Number 10, hanging on in its ninth week, or sorry, in its eighth week of release here. Number 10, The Little Mermaid. Uh, No pun intended, kind of legging it out here not necessarily going to be this massive profit engine but it's important to remember it's a four it's a 547 million dollars it's important to remember that 
box office, while it's great to make a profit at the box office, it's not the only revenue stream that some of these movies have for these studios. And Little Mermaid was one in particular. Think of the Happy Meal toys. Think of the Funko Pop sales. Mm -hmm. Think of the posters at Walmart. Think of so much marketing is tied into this movie and extra materials and everything like that that most likely Little Mermaid at the end of the day is going to be financially successful for the studio, but they're not going to be making, you know, hand over fist at the box office, which is something that you want to be doing like they luckily got. And again, this is Marvel compared to Disney proper, but, you know, like Marvel did for Disney with with Guardians. Guardians is a movie that it got up to that break-even point and then just kept making even more money. So, you know, that's where you really want to be, and, and not a lot of movies are doing that this year. Another one that is starting to do that this year is Transformers Rise of the Beasts. It's a $421 million. Again, something that kind of started off a little slow, $64 million opening, but has been able to just stay at the box office and keep going. And and that's largely because word of mouth that, hey, that you know, this one's not that bad. You know, that, that, that really goes a long way for, like, a Transformers movie, and I feel like you're seeing that in the numbers, uh, only dropping 33% this past week which is really, really good. Spider-Verse still holding super, super strong. $664 million right now at the box office. If we're not including Guardians in this, which you probably shouldn't because it's beginning of May, Spider-Verse probably going to wind up being the top movie of the summer, although maybe Barbie will just come in and, and just absolutely pancake it somehow. Uh, but I don't know if I see that happening. I think there's a chance. I think there is a chance. I think Barbie's going to be higher up on on the summer list here uh, than a lot of people thought, I think. Something that a lot of people thought was that Elemental was just completely DOA. Elemental staying at the number five spot. Again, I think this is benefiting from the Puss in Boots syndrome of you just have this enormous gap where there is no other kids animated product that is really grasping audiences. We did have Ruby Gilman come out, but that really has not drawn really any interest from the audience to be honest really anything at all so elemental went from a i believe it was a 28 million dollar opening weekend it's now made 313 million dollars again it's still got a long way to go to be a massive like money maker for disney but i mean obviously pixar has got to be happy that it is it's not uh just completely mm-hmm. dead uh, again number four indiana jones and the dial of destiny a little bit worse uh, story there, only hitting $303 million uh, in its third week. It is still going to keep going, but you're now getting into kind of Mission Impossible and then probably Oppenheimer really cutting into that dad, that parent, that a little bit older crowd, but also just big spectacle action crowd, you know, that would have gone to Indy on repeat viewings. I think a lot of that is going to go out the window. Uh, you already see every single week it's been dropping about 50 to 55%. I think you're going to see that continue, if not maybe even a bigger drop, like 70% next week once Oppenheimer comes out. Another great story here for Sony, uh, and in particular Patrick Wilson, his directorial debut, Insidious the Red Door, which I definitely know neither of us have seen right. uh, or are most likely planning on seeing. Uh, for me, just because I don't watch the franchise for TJ, He's got a, a, a thing with horror movies uh, at the at the cinema. But uh, the numbers on this are anything but a horror story because it's at about two or $124 million 
on a reported uh, 18 to $25 million budget, which, you know, oh my god, making a huge amount of money for the studio there. Then, a movie that we talked about last week, uh, pretty in-depth here. I'm just going to keep it brief because there's a lot going on with this movie that is kind of all over the place right now. But basically, I'll boil it down to, if these numbers are accurate, uh, a massive, massive, massive weekend for Angel Studios and only their second debut feature film, uh, Sound of Freedom. It actually had a 39% increase at the at the mm-hmm. worldwide box office, now, mainly domestic. Something real yeah. quick that I think just occurred to me. Something that Sound of Freedom really is benefiting from, I feel like, is the like narrative of theaters the not wanting people to see this movie people will stay on tiktok oh the ac is out you know oh they paused the movie oh you know they refund so then it gets people to go oh well now i want to see it you know i'm gonna show show the government show the people that are telling me not to watch this movie i'm gonna go see it so just i'm just saying like i think that's a really big boost that they're getting and i'm sure you know maybe they didn't in they didn't think that was gonna happen that type of mark that viral kind of marketing that they were getting they didn't think that was gonna mm-hmm. happen but at the same time i'm sure you know in some of the back of their heads they're like you know maybe there will be something where you know people feel they need to take a stand and see this movie to you know fight back or something you know uh and yeah. i definitely think this movie's probably benefiting in that which uh you know good for them obviously mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we talked about the whole ticket thing last week too <clears throat> yeah yeah so there's a lot of stuff uh that i'm sure goes into that movie and everything like that but uh again with the ticket thing that we talked about last week if these numbers are to be believed uh about a 14 million dollar production budget i want to be very clear because those same tiktokers are out there going oh my god and every single comment on almost every single movie youtube channel uh, in the past weeks has been 14 million dollar movie and it's made a hundred million dollars not quite uh, so if, if it is, it's a $14 million production budget, but this movie has had a lot of rights transfers and rights sales that basically at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's the, the money sunk into this is definitely a lot more than $14 million. But that being said, I can't see it being more than, you know, maybe $35 million with, with all the fees and everything of, of the you know, rights being sold back and forth between a couple different companies here. So if the numbers are to be believed and it's $85 million, this movie is still definitely a smash hit for Angel Studios, who has another movie, I believe, coming out next year. Again, kind of geared towards that faith-based crowd that obviously their 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 whole MO is. And so I'll be interested to see what happens with that if they take the same sort of uh, you know, give a ticket, uh, get a ticket model thing that they do. I, I'll be interested to know if they do that again. Hopefully, maybe they'll be a little more clear cut about uh, the finances and the numbers on all that stuff. But uh, still, a massive weekend for Sound of Freedom. And then the main thing here uh, this week to talk about at the box office, of course, is the brand new movie, which is Mission Impossible 7 uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, TJ, 
what what was the overarching narrative that you saw on Twitter? Like, what, what was the what was it? Was it a sink or swim, a success or a failure? What what was uh, the algorithm pushing <laughs> out to you? I feel like because I feel like everybody was split on this movie. Yeah, I feel like the more I saw was that it was disappointing. Maybe more domestically, probably than internationally. You know, I probably would have maybe expected around a hundred domestic. You know, closer to a hundred. You know, hundred plus. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's still the first week, you know. We still got a few weeks, you know. I think this movie definitely has some staying power uh, yeah. for repeat viewings. I definitely want to see it again. So, you know, I think we could probably see it get into the, you know, five, six, seven, you know, worldwide mark at some point. Probably just in, within a few weeks, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the staying power. And, you know, if you look at the at Mission Impossible movies, none of them have opened – massively i mean you look at mission impossible fallout for example uh mission impossible fallout had a worldwide opening weekend of 61 million or sorry i'm sorry uh a domestic opening weekend of 61 million dollars so you look at that compared to dead reckoning part one and it's really not that far off when you're looking at the three-day weekend where the mission impossible franchise gets very tricky to kind of uh you know calculate is the fact that every single one of them has opened on a five-day weekend not one of them hasn't so whether that's one of them i believe was a opened on a friday but then the holiday was on a tuesday so it was like a five-day weekend that way this one opened on a five-day weekend but because it opened technically on monday so it, it had a very very long time to make its money and i think that's where some of the initial confusion was coming from of people saying you know, oh, Mission Impossible only brings in $53 million opening weekend domestically. Mm-hmm. That was a big number that I saw was $53 million. That is its three-day Friday, Saturday, and Sunday opening weekend. But it's very unfair to the movie to not count the fan events, the preview nights, when, let's be honest, most of the hardcore fans are going to those shows. Mm-hmm. So... It's very easy to write a tweet or write an article that says Mission Impossible only made $53 million in its opening weekend. But if you look at its opening five days, it made almost $25, $30 million just in the opening Tuesday and Wednesday. So, you know, there's a lot more to this movie than I think, you know, certain people are running with. And then, like you've mentioned, all of this back and forth of is it good, is it not, is really just about domestically because when you look at the five-day total for the worldwide opening weekend, you're talking about $240 million opening. I mean, this this is a successful opening for this movie without a doubt. There, It's a trend we've been seeing this year more and more. Much, much, much bigger uh, opening internationally than it is here in the States bringing in 154.98 million internationally uh which does gives it uh, a total opening weekend of 238 million dollars uh so you know i think the budget reporter budget on this is 290 million dollars which is that super expensive absolutely but also you got to remember this movie shot for four years during the peak of COVID, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it is one of those movies, just like Indiana Jones, that you got to talk about the fact that, you know, there are movies like Wakanda Forever that, you know, shot towards the tail end of the pandemic were finished and released all within that. 
This movie began filming in 2019. Uh, so, you know, you really got to keep that in mind when you're talking about, you know, the budget on this that unfortunately was heavily ballooned. But it's also one of those things that, you know, you look at some of the paydays of the people in here. Tom Cruise, you know, granted, he is a, you know, he's not credited as a writer, but, you know, he is very heavily involved with the story. He's a, vev a very heavily uh, on hand set or hands on producer on set. Uh, and then as well, obviously, putting his own life on the line for these movies and also acting in it as the main star. So, you know, he's pulling triple duty here. But there are, you know, reports that he collected anywhere between 60 to $80 million for this film. But, you know, is that worth four and a half years of your life? <laughs> what do you, you know, it's a, a, up to whoever. But anyways, I'm just saying that's one element of the very, very big budget on this movie is just direct payouts to some of these stars. But TJ, what are your thoughts on here? Do you think Mission Impossible, like you said, do you think it will leg out here? Because again, looking at the franchise history, Fallout opens to $60 million, winds up making $800 million. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, this movie has some more direct competition this very week with Oppenheimer, but I feel like if it can get over that Oppenheimer hurdle, it's really going to have the rest of the summer and into the fall to really just kind of have a run at at people coming to see it over and over again. So what do you think, if you had to prognosticate here to the future of the end of this box office run, uh, how do you think things are going to wrap up for Mission Impossible 7? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to get pretty close probably to Fallout. Well, I don't think, you know, Dead Reckoning is a better movie than Fallout. I think it's, you know, it, it comes pretty close. Yeah. And I can definitely, like I said before, I can definitely see people coming back multiple times to watch this movie. It's just, it's just that good. Uh, and I think you said either, I think you said last week where, you know, not considering John Wick, you know, Mission Impossible is probably the best summer action movie. Um, mm -hmm. so I think again, that just adds another, another layer, but yeah, already at two thirty-eight, you know, two thirty-eight million after just basically a full week, I'd say that's, that's pretty good so far. So, you know, it's, is it going to mm -hmm. do another 200 mil this week? No, but I think after, you know, six, seven weeks, we'll get to that you know, six, seven mil mark at some point. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think a good a good uh, movie to kind of example this up to is Guardians. Uh, obviously, Guardians opened much bigger because it is a Marvel movie and a, and a very good Marvel movie at that. But I do, you know, see, but again, I say that, but when you look at the worldwide of 240 million, Guardians opened to 256 million mm -hmm. in its worldwide opening weekend. So it really is kind of comparable. And, you know, other than us talking about it on this show, you know, nobody really talked about Guardians after the first three weeks, but it just kept staying. It just kept staying at the theaters and making more money every single week to the point now where, you know, you're looking at well over $800 million. And, you know, if Mission Impossible can get, like you said, even to 600 or 700 million, I think you're going to be in a perfectly good spot here. And it's not like they're going to stop making Mission Impossible movies because of this one, you know, mm -hmm. performance of this movie that was heavily influenced by COVID. So I think it'll be an interesting movie to track here, but I do think it'll definitely hit profitability. I don't think this is a fast X situation right. by any means. All right, let's see here. All right, TJ, let's talk. A little bit about uh actually let's hit barbie real quick so barbie uh review embargo dropped tonight uh just before we went live at 7 p.m uh oh there you go 
it actually, it, we were about to go over its tomato meter that it was at, I believe, 92%. It's actually gone down a little bit after I just refreshed it. It's currently at 88% uh, on the tomato meter. People basically saying that it is a very, very good movie that sometimes lacks in a couple of areas, but that it is pretty good. You want to read off, uh, just pick one or two of these uh, first early <coughs> reactions here uh, to Barbie uh, up on the yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Um, real quick, David Sims of The Atlantic writes, uh, Combining the meta jokiness with a heap of motivational sincerity is no easy task, but Barbie is a very charming success. Uh, I will also read uh, Tom Riss Laffley from The Rap says, A soulful film underneath all the persistent fuchsia one that has heart and ambition and as and well as abundant sorry as well as abundant beauty inside and out so two very very positive reviews uh so far there you go and uh one here by uh let's see and manoff and i will say take it for what it's uh worth i know you guys can see it on stream here uh the these two negative reviews don't have a picture attached to it but <laughs> Uh, it's very interesting. Roger uh, Friedman, maybe friend of the show, uh, Brandon's uh, relative I don't there. Think so. <laughs> uh, despite plucky stars Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling and a stylized production design for the ages, the movie itself is a mystery shrouded in a puzzle. Who is this movie for? Beats me. So, you know, I think it's a, a little, and I've seen that. You know, I've seen some first impressions from uh, Chris Stuckman, Jeremy Johns. Christian Harloff, a couple different people online that that had gotten a chance to see the movie early. And I think overall, uh, you know, a lot of them said the same thing, that the production values, some of the performances, especially, obviously, Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling, which you'd expect. But more importantly, the production design and everything about the look and feel of this movie is, like, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that maybe it is lacking on uh, some of the story elements. And I think that we're seeing that a lot with some things lately. Uh, and I just think that, you know, I would say that I'm shocked at this, but I think this was always a movie that maybe was not going to be for everyone. And I still think that even if it's maybe not for, quote-unquote, for you, you know, I still think there's going to be stuff that you can enjoy about this. But what are, what are your thoughts on some of the things we've seen here uh, things we've read so far and the fact that it's debuting with this 88 percent uh, i think the 88 percent is very good news uh but no i'm not surprised really that it is a kind of i guess divisive movie everybody everything that i've seen says it takes really big swings so mm -hmm. whether you're you know you're on you're on board with those swings or not is going to determine whether you liked it or not but hey i'm still excited <laughs> I agree 100%. I'm still very excited for it, but, uh, you know, I guess we shall see. I'm glad, uh, uh, you know, we have the opportunity to see both. So, mm -hmm. sounds like, you know, Oppenheimer review embargo is not up yet, but uh, the social media reactions definitely are, and everybody is saying that it is fantastic, so I'll be excited to see where the numbers fall with that movie. But it sounds like, you know, there's still going to be stuff to love, at least in both of these movies, mm -hmm. so I'm very happy about that. Something I've not been very happy with, TJ. We've talked about him to death on this channel. Uh, we have we have sung his praises. We have rooted for him. Uh, we have been hopeful at his return, uh, and that is, of course, uh, the CEO with the most himself, uh, but maybe the most in his pocketbook, uh, and that is 
Bob, <laughs> Walt Disney Company CEO uh, Bob Iger, uh, who you know recently returned to the company after a very very rocky road with uh, its previous CEO, which who took over from Bob Iger, uh, who was Bob Chapek. How, how long was uh, that? Who really? Was that a year? Uh, I think I believe it was a year and eight months. Gotcha. I think. So yeah, Iger comes in. This was just about uh, not quite a year ago. I want to say maybe like eight months ago, uh, seven or eight months ago. Iger come announces that he's coming back to the studio. That he will be replacing Bob Chapek. It was in a a late night Elton John concert. Uh, Rope dope that they fired <laughs> Chapek, and all of a sudden Bob Iger was back before. You know, Elton John finished Piano Man. Yeah. So I, you know, it, it was a crazy night at the Walt Disney Company. But a lot of the point being, a lot of people were singing his praises of, oh, thank God, this is going to get the company back on track. This is going to reverse some of the poorer decisions that were being made uh, at the company. Uh, and that was all the way up until last week when I said on this very show, uh, you know, you see the villain, the the quote unquote villain of this strike so far being. David Zaslav and uh, a couple other notable people, but not so much Iger. Well, it turns out I was uh, a little bit uh, ahead of myself by exactly one day, because uh, literally one day after I said that on the channel, there was a CNBC interview with Bob Iger that basically discussed a lot about the actor strike, a lot about the writer strike, but also some of the stuff, the future of the company as a whole, the future of Marvel, Star Wars. Disney Plus, where they see things like Hulu, FX, Fox, ABC, the network, Freeform, where they see all these different arms, ESPN even they talk a lot about, where they see all these different arms of the Walt Disney Company going. But I'm going to pull up uh, a couple of things here for you. And TJ, I'll let you read these out. Uh, just kind of where do you want to go first with this? Because there's a lot of stuff here that he talked first. about. <laughs> we can start on what the first? Purchase. This one? That is... Apparently oh, the purchase. Okay, yeah. I don't know. And again, this is probably the biggest grain of salt. So right. this does not come directly from that CNBC interview. This has been a slow rollout since that interview of people saying a couple days ago that there's reportedly a potential for a complete sale of the company to a third party. And now today, really, a lot of different places are now running that story which just following news and stuff like that leads me to believe that, you know, when there, when there's a certain amount of smoke, there could be fire. So why don't you take it away and tell us about what the hell's going on? Uh, I mean, I don't really know much. All I, I didn't even know about this rumor until before we like five minutes before we started. You had it on like the, our, our little notes right here. Uh, so you're yeah. just reading this off a Apple News Twitter. It says, uh, breaking, Disney CEO Bob Iger is considering selling streaming services and other assets to Apple. May even try to sell the entire Disney uh, in the coming three years. To me, this is uh, this is something that I just, I, I cannot believe, I would not believe it. I can't believe that Disney would sell to another company. What is the, mm -hmm. what would the motive be? You know, Disney is one of the wealthiest companies in the world, one of the most successful companies in the world. Obviously, Apple is probably, they probably, I'd probably say, are maybe the, I don't know. Apple's bigger. Apple's I definitely think. bigger. But, like, I don't see Apple, I don't see them getting in the theme park game. <laughs> 
I don't mm-hmm. see them getting in. I mean, to be fair, though, this could quite literally be a real-life Waystar Royco. I mean, yeah. it, literally, it could be of this company that you're you, like, well, I think not you really have theme a very parks. large problem if you let Apple buy Disney. I think you have a interest problem where, you know, how big is one company allowed to get, you know? Yeah. You know, because not only will they own Disney, they'll also own Fox. Uh, they will have Marvel, mm-hmm. you know, all these other studios, etc. Yeah. You know, what is what is the end game there where do they where do we where do we stop and say apple you cannot buy anything else you know and do we really want tim apple running <laughs> x-men you know and i think they're you know I, th- I feel like they're doing so so far so good with you know apple tv plus i know they got a few hits i know people Absolutely. really like silo um mm-hmm. obviously ted lasso was a big hit so i don't hijack hijack they've gotten a, <clears throat> in on the film front they mm-hmm. have their first full theatrical releases of Napoleon and Killers of the right. Flower Moon coming up both this fall. Yeah, so I don't really know if they I think they're fine. I don't really think they need Disney. I don't think Disney needs Apple. I think Disney just mm-hmm. needs to and and this is just goes for all studios in general in Hollywood. They just need to make better decisions. They need to make movies for less money. Yeah. To turn more yes. of a profit. I mean, it's not Period. I mean, obviously pay the writers and actors uh their dues mm-hmm. as well, but yeah, I don't see this in any upcoming years. I know people are like, well, it could happen, you know, by the end of his tenure, you know. As soon as tomorrow. Yeah, like, yeah. or whatever. I, I Which, just... by the way, we should specify <laughs> his tenure has been extended. When right. he originally came in to replace it JPEG, for... it was on a temporary, right. I believe, 20-month contract. Mm-hmm. Um, And that has now been fully signed onto a contract that will take him, I believe, to December 31st, 2026. 20, yeah. So it'll take him up to twenty. I just, I just don't see that happening. Plus, <laughs> as much as I, I do love, you know, I love that. I shouldn't say love. That's weird. I, I like Apple a lot. You know, I have an iPhone. I have a MacBook. I have mm-hmm. Apple TV. I'll say I love Apple TV Plus. I wouldn't I would want say Apple to, how I say, sanitize Disney. How it's very, you know, Apple's very. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's kind of like that joke where it's like in fa- uh, the Fairly Odd Parents, you know, you had like the corporate fairies, and you know, yeah. you see like sometimes we're like I'd say like McDonald's for example, all the the buildings now are like gray. Where the color go? Like where the yeah. you know? I feel like if Disney bought or if Apple buys Disney, that's what we're gonna get. You know, it's gonna be kind of like mm-hmm. this kind of watered down. You know, and hey, those prices would be going up. You think the prices are bad now? They'd be going way up if Apple bought Disney. By the way, for whatever theme parks or oh know. yeah, but no, I yeah, I don't think this is. I don't think this would ever happen. I would be shocked <clears throat> unless yeah, something now, like terrible the, happened. You know, unless something terrible happened to Disney, where it's like they're crippling and they needed they needed sit like saving. And <laughs> again, the other thing to keep in mind here is, I think the the particular tweet, the particular one that we read out here. And again, we should emphasize this is not something that Variety is running. Mm. That Oh, Bob Iger is selling to Apple. This is just something that clearly people are talking about in the industry that is out there. So we wanted to talk about it. But again, I think maybe the most realistic thing we could be looking at is maybe parts. You know, a, a now this was a Variety headline. I believe it was Variety. It might have been Deadline that, liter- that said, uh, you know, Bob Iger 
uh, who once, you know, went on a buying spree to bolster this company. Mm -hmm. It said basically Bob Iger is now setting up a Disney uh, garage sale, Uh, (laughs) you know, where he's he's, uh, selling off uh, parts. Now, that is something I could see potentially happening because one of the things in the CNBC interview that he talked at great length about was finding, yeah, yeah, partnerships for ESPN. Something to, you know, as the they love this term, to de-risk uh, ESPN, but also, you know, get somebody on board with the, uh, and I'm just remembering this off the top of my head, uh, what he kept saying, the incredibly unique uh, platform that is ESPN. And, uh, you know, I, I think I could see maybe that. I could see Apple getting into sports because they do have a big presence with, stop, with uh, soccer, oh. with uh, Premier League, ML- right? MLS. You know, it's pretty much... MLS, yeah. sorry, there you go. Which Messi is now playing for what? Florida, Inter Miami, yes, big signing. There you go. Wow, a few days I know ago. things. Yep. Yeah, and they, there was somebody got a picture of him at like a Costco or something. Yeah, he. And they were they he's were going like, Look grocery at this guy. shopping with his family. And then there's this video of him. He's getting like an escort. I think I don't know to where. He's getting an escort, and he like runs a red light and almost gets t-boned. <laughs> oh my god! What a legend. Yeah. He's got to adapt. Right. You got to let him adapt. Yeah. But moving on here uh, to some of the other things that he was discussing here in the CNBC thing. And then obviously we are still gearing up to our main topic here. We'll talk about his comments on the writer's strike uh, towards the end here. But two things that he has talked about is uh, in regards to Disney Plus and some theatrical as well. Uh, he has acknowledged, he has acknowledged and, and pretty well in the interview, he did fully fess up and say, and, and I think that's true, and it's one of the things that people like about Bob Iger is that he's not the kind of, you know, no offense, I don't know why I'm apologizing to David Zaslav, but <laughs> no offense to David Zaslav, you know, he's not the, The Flash is the best comic book movie I've ever seen in my life. You know, Bob mm. Iger will kind of say, you know, we need to kind of do a little bit better on some of these things, you know, or, or the audience didn't respond to, to this or, or that of certain items. Uh, and he said Bob Iger uh, has acknowledged that Pixar movies going straight to Disney Plus has caused an impact uh, on the demand for seeing new Pixar movies in theaters. However, he also adds that the studio has had some creative misses. And then something that that did not include that he did say in the interview, because I did, uh, I did, I did watch the entire CNBC interview, is he said uh, as well that they they asked him. They said, "Do you think, you know, for whatever the reason or not?" Do you think that the loss of John Lasseter from the company, which now was five years ago, had an impact, uh, you know, on the overall Mm -hmm. just because, I mean, somebody, unfortunately, can be an incredibly, you know, profound, creative person who just understands the business Mm -hmm. and is a great creative mind and also a terrible person like John Lasseter is. But, you know, it is to be said that John Lasseter was the head of Pixar from the beginning almost, you know, almost handpicked by George Lucas. And he, and uh, to his credit, Bob Iger did say, he said, you know, well, it's not just been John Lasseter, but there has been some creative and executive turnover that, you know, I think did impact the company. So what are your, what are your thoughts on all this stuff with Pixar? <clears throat> Obviously we've talked about before, you know, the string of Disney plus releases for Pixar, mm-hmm. I think really hampered it. We saw that, especially with Lightyear. Again, Elemental kind of bouncing back a little bit, but not where they want it to be. Not certainly not where Pixar movies used to make, you know, six, seven, eight hundred million dollars easily, mm-hmm. and sometimes even a billion. 
you know, nowhere near those kind of numbers. So what, what do you think about his comments here about Pixar? What do you what do you think could be a potential, you know, way back for Pixar at this point? Uh, I mean, I think personally they probably need to walk back the whole kind of, you know, Oh, you know, movies coming to coming to streaming a few you know weeks later. You don't have to go to the theater. Yeah, I think that really is a big kind of uh, uh, sign of you know people having obviously these streaming services, uh, but just you know it's like well if I only have to wait a few weeks. Like why would I go pay you know fifteen or twelve bucks for a ticket? You know. 20 bucks to concessions when I could just, you know, I had my one time fee this month. I could sit down and watch uh, whatever Pixar movie I will say, you know, yeah. you did bring up John Laster. Uh, it's not like every single movie has been a boss since he left, you know, uh, you know, we exactly. had soul, we had point. Luca, we had uh, turning red, Toy story Toy four, story four, you know? So it's not like every single movie was just like, Oh, just terrible, terrible, terrible. Mm-hmm. I think, the you know and obviously there's been some misses but i i do think the whole kind of uh and again pandemic you know pushing it everything to disney plus and giving people that option has probably pushed people away from coming to the theater to see new movies um and mm-hmm. again you don't just see that with pixar you see that with you know every single movie that comes out mm-hmm. <clears throat> even something like a ruby gilman too mm-hmm. i mean you look at uh you know, partially Peacock has set that example too with DreamWorks mm-hmm. is, you know, Puss in Boots, they held off a long time adding it to Peacock because it was so successful at the box office. But, you know, some other DreamWorks releases and just some other NBC uh, Universal releases as well you see going to Peacock uh, pretty soon. I know, I correct me if I'm wrong, was, wasn't Fast X already on Peacock? Uh, I don't, Isn't that uh, on there? I don't already? know, that's I think a good question. Maybe? Yeah, but like you know, they're they've been incredibly quick. They're another one that's been incredibly yeah. quick. But really, you know, I think Max and Disney Plus have really uh, realized that they really shot themselves in the foot with that. I mean, I think if they had stuck permanently with the with the uh, oh, what did they even call it? Premiere Access? Something like is that, that what it was yeah. called? Oh, it Premiere, yeah, whatever it was called, bucks, like Black Widow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With uh, what was it that fell into that Black Widow and Mulan? Yes, I think were Mulan, the two yep. that they they mainly did, which I still haven't even seen that Mulan movie. Yeah, unfortunately, right. I mean, I've, I've already wasn't even that bad, but I, I haven't seen. It. I I have no interest in a Mulan movie that has no music. I'm sorry. Uh, unlike our friend Travis, I don't mind no Mushu, <laughs> but no music, no no me. But uh, I think if they had stuck with that for the Pixar movies. And said, hey, you know, this is still a premium product that we, you know, want families to be able to enjoy. And sure, you know, Onward, that's a different story that was right at the pandemic. That Onward got its legs, no pun intended because of what the movie Onward is about. Mm-hmm. Onward got its legs taken out from under it, literally, uh, <laughs> because it was right in the middle of the shutdown. Uh, so onward, I understood putting on there, you know, by itself. That that was really, it was just unfortunate that literally the week of the pandemic, it was a big Pixar movie, you know. And I just think that Pixar never really recovered from that habit. I think they went, you know, they went, oh my god, look at the numbers for onward, because it was one of the biggest releases on Disney Plus. And I think they just went, look at the numbers for onward. Let's see if Soul does the same thing. 
oh my god look at that let's see if turning red mm -hmm. will do the same thing and i think that they just got themselves into this habit that unfortunately i think it's it's really left a lasting impact and you know you have to retrain audiences uh you know look at guardians of the galaxy right you know there was a time when multiverse of madness came out on may 4th it was on disney plus on like june 25th mm -hmm. you know so, something like that or, or july 4th or something you know a very quick time and marvel has learned from that and now you look you know guardians is four and a half four months you know basically uh before it goes on to disney plus and i think that windows like that are just going to keep getting longer but i think pixar being one of the majorly impacted brands you know they're just gonna have to find some way out of this I, i'm you know unfortunately and i don't know maybe they never do to yeah. be honest maybe they never do because they've just really conditioned families into thinking about it like that Next up here, Bob Iger says uh, Marvel Studios' uh, increase in movie output and introduction of TV shows has diluted audiences' focus and attention uh, on the overall Marvel brand. And before I get your thoughts on that, I just want to throw in, too, uh, another comment he did make off of that was that both in the cost of production, so the spending, and the amount of production, so the amount of titles... He said they're going to be in or sorry, decreasing the output of both Marvel and Star Wars uh, in the future here. So what are your what are your kind of thoughts on this of his comments on Marvel and the potential of all these shows and different titles diluting the the overall MCU brand, basically? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I feel like maybe Mar MCU, you know, movies, especially just going to the theater. I feel like maybe they don't have as much. Uh, they don't have the kind of eventness that they used to um i think definitely adding more shows and all this content etc to to consume to maybe even follow the story for other movies mm -hmm. definitely puts a strain on audiences and maybe turns them off to the whole idea of the mcu so yeah i could definitely see that uh you know are the they've already said like you said they're gonna cut back on you know the output of content which i think is is good you know we don't need multiple movies and multiple shows a year um mm -hmm. you know the next one is the marvels and that's still another few months away which i think is good uh and they just have to kind of up the quality you know um yeah. they've just been especially with the shows they've been suffering lately uh as well as the movies you know how when's the last time we were like gangbusters about an mcu movie Endgame? I know. I mean, it's like, the, well, the last time that I should say the last time we were like gangbusters about an MCU movie that the public was as well was probably No Way Home. Yeah, no I mean, Way Guardians Home. Three yeah. was mm -hmm. a is a beloved movie and I think an incredible movie yeah. and a huge box office success. But at the same time, you know, apart from maybe the first two weekends, I would say, of people saying, like, oh, my God, Rocket, what they did with Rocket, oh, my God, it's so good. After that, it just kind of, mm -hmm. you know, died out. Like, No Way Home was, like, an event, like yeah. a cultural event. And then, honestly, for the shows, I don't think it ever got bigger. Well, I don't think it ever got bigger than WandaVision. Damn right straight. The it's the best it was, one. I don't think it... <laughs> Yeah. I don't, but I don't think they ever, you know, got bigger in terms of the discussion right. and the cultural impact than they did with WandaVision. And then I would say probably like Loki was the second mm -hmm. most and then 
probably like Hawkeye or Moon Knight, maybe third most. And then that's three. That's three or four titles. And by the way, three or four of the first titles out in the first year that, you know, out of what? There's been nine total titles on, on Disney+. Plus. And again, I think also another key thing here that I think, you know, we don't want to lose out on is I think those special presentations that they did last mm-hmm. year were really good. Both of them. Werewolf by Night was fantastic and a lot of fun. And by all means, you know, a very, very uh, quick and cheap production that I think a lot of people loved. Another quick and cheap production, the Guardians Holiday Special. I think a lot of people loved that special. So I think it's important for them to look at, you know, if, if I was Marvel Studios, this this is what I would do. I would say, and I know this is going to get, you know, I might be crazy because they've been doing three movies, sometimes four movies for years, not even just since COVID. I mean, they were on three movies a year in 2017. Uh, I think you scale back to two movies per year, two shows per year and two special presentations per Mm. year. That is six MCU titles per year, which in any other franchise is, like, unthinkable. But It's funny you say that about special presentation, because I could have sworn I just saw something a few days ago that was like, it didn't do the numbers that they wanted it to, and that they were, like, looking at not doing doing them anymore. But I could be wrong. (laughs) It's just funny. See, but I would believe that, too. I, I would believe that, but also it's, like, it's all about risk versus reward mm. because it's like i don't know these numbers I, are going to be totally wrong like so don't hold to me, me to this but like honest. six seems say, like a lot see i think it is a lot <laughs> but you got to remember 20 look at 2021 mm. we got three movies mm. and five shows oh jeez yeah <laughs> yeah that's what we got in 2021 yeah. we got three movies and five shows and i think in terms of money saving if you three movies five shows in terms of money saving if you go from three 200 million dollar blockbusters to two and you just cut off an entire movie i think that is a huge savings then make your shows this is exactly how i would break it down if you want to spend 200 million dollars because you're a marvel movie i still think that's probably too much money but let's just say two 200 million dollar blockbusters two hundred million dollar shows and then two for a show 30 million dollars that's a lot for a show you know, going special straight to a streaming service with no offset to that cost other than you know. it is high but i'm just focused on lowering it from where it right, is because yeah. i don't know if you saw this but secret invasion reportedly had a budget oh, of 215 that. million that is crazy where is it where is it over there is it over here i don't know yeah. Uh, it's not in Nick Fury's beard budget. I'll tell you that much. That's not where it is because that is not Sam Jackson's facial hair. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just focused on lowering it from where it's mm. at. And, again, in terms of you talking about per- perhaps maybe the special presentations didn't do as much uh, uh, viewership as they wanted. I mean, if you're talking about a 25 to $40 million special presentation and let's say if that gets, you know, a million views – or, you know, I'm, I'm just being very general here with the numbers. But, like, you know, that's got to be better than a $250 million show 
that gets 2 million views. Mm -hmm. You know, double the views is not worth five times the budget. And I feel like it's those things. They're like, we don't have any money. We don't have enough money. You're putting it in all these things that you're not seeing in the final product. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It like, and, and a lot of people have said about Secret Invasion, where's the $215 million? It's in reshoots, mm. extensive reshoots, changing endings, changing things like that. How many times have we heard that just this year alone with like Ant-Man 3 that everybody was saying the movie came out in February, they reshot the ending at the end of December. Mm. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And not just the ending, but the third act they reshot. So it, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, there's just... They've got to get the spending under control and on the Star Wars side as well. I mean, Star Wars has a lot more problems than just money right now, but as beautiful and amazing as Andor was and how it looked, you can't spend a quarter of a billion dollars on a show like Andor. You, you just can't. I mean, as much as everybody loved it, that you know, cost we 250? know it did not. $250 million was the budget of season Jeez. one of Andor. Yeah. Now, to be fair, you see it. I, I you thought it see that kind of in not Andor. like low budget, but I felt like they could have done what they did for relatively not a ton of money. See, the the problem is is that with Star Wars, it feels you go, oh, I mean, it feels low yeah. budget because it's real locations and stuff. But then you got to remember, Star Wars doesn't exist. Right, fair enough. So it's like it's real, <laughs> like the prison. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's that's a real. I can that's I can feel the walls in the Narkina prison. You know, I can feel them, you know, under my fingers just by watching the show. The set looks that good, but you got to remember, it's a massive set and that set needs to be built. You know what I mean? It's like that that is unfortunately the double-edged sword of why they were like, "Hey, Disney Plus, we're going to really heavily use this volume thing was to save money." But then now it's everybody's going, "Well, we don't want the volume. It looks terrible." Mm real sets you know screws and bricks but you know screws and bricks cost money uh, a lot of money one quick just last thing last thing i think on this and then absolutely we'll move on uh it's just a thought and i don't know if this would ever happen but do you think any of these services say you have like a, you know a shorter series kind of not like an andor because andor is what 10 episodes well, how long was it 12, 12 episodes. episodes yeah so too long maybe even you know a four episode do you think any of these services ever consider the whole let's put you know an episode out in theaters you know let's do a, a four night thing you know you get a new episode each night you gotta come back see the full thing i i do you think, think anybody ever tries um, that or no i don't know what the cost well would i be think because you, you know you gotta pay for the whole exhibition and all that stuff but <clears throat> yeah I, I think it's it's a good indication of that is going to be ms marvel mm. because an, another part of this that's that's part of the strike talk that we're going to talk about in a little bit here is that ms marvel is going to be airing on abc uh next oh, month okay uh, and that's you know sure you could say well it was always going to do that because it was, it was for to promote the marvels uh and yeah ABC? no it's just because abc doesn't have yeah, any shows no. to promote uh, or any shows to, uh, they don't have anything filmed to air, basically. They need to pad out their numbers. That's why uh, CBS announced this week that Yellowstone, starting oh, with season yeah, one, is going to start yeah. airing on CBS. And that leads to a big question of, okay, well then, that's going to be a big indicator of if all of a sudden the Miss Marvel creator is making thousands of dollars in residuals for the network 
show versus, you know, 84 cents in residuals for the streaming show, something's not adding up there about Miss Marvel uh, and the amount of residuals that they're making. Uh, but I only say that because Miss Marvel is now going to be on network TV. But if you remember back to when Miss Marvel aired, it originally aired in theaters in Pakistan. Oh, okay. uh, I remember we talked about that yep. that story that it did actually have a theatrical release. And they did exactly that, that one week it was the first two episodes. Next week it was the next two. And then the final week was the last two episodes. So I think Miss Marvel is going to be the first Disney Plus thing, you know, wh- whether it be a movie or a show, that they're going to get a sample size of how a show like this can do on network, how a show like this can do on Disney Plus, and how a show like this can perform uh, in a theatrical environment. Even if it wasn't, you know, a domestically theatrical environment, if it was, you know, a a, a international uh, territory. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Miss Marvel does on network. Uh, and I think it'll give them an idea of how, how some of these things can perform. But moving on here to the last thing that he talked about, which was they asked him about the current writer strike and the potential of the Screen Actors Guild strike because uh, this interview was the the morning that they were voting the strike through. Uh, and this basically led him to say the thing that directly contradicted when I was like, oh, Bob Iger is not really the villain of this strike. Uh, I should have said yet because then he gave a uh, terrible statement, which was basically, you know, that he's disheartened and deeply disturbed uh, by the, you know, greedy wants <laughs> of the actors and the writers. Oh, boy. And, oh, we made a great deal with the Directors Guild, and we want to make a great deal with the Writers Guild and the acting, the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, and, you know, obviously, there's a lot more that we're going to talk about here with SAG and everything, but what were your thoughts when you saw or all these original articles of just, you know, it, it was very, no pun intended, fast and furious coming out against Bob Iger of just, like, how tone-deaf can you be and just how... And also, not to mention, this was right after he announced that he was re-upping his contract. Right. It was announced that his yearly salary for this year was going to be $27 million. That's not including his potential hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses. So a lot to break down here. But uh, what, were, what were your initial thoughts on all this Bob Iger stuff? Yeah, just a very uh, bizarre comment, I thought. A uh, very unnecessary yeah. kind of... Uh, just i i don't know what if it because i i don't think i don't know if the executives of the studios understand and i saw you know i had watched uh dan Merle's video too on this about half an hour long everybody should go check it out mm-hmm. uh I, do they not know that they cannot play the woe is me card that oh my god this is so difficult you know we're still recovering from covid exactly. you know we're seeing declining uh audience coming to the theater and here come these actors and writers coming to want more money with their hands out and it's like do you not know how much money you're making yearly one is a salary how much are you producing these shows and movies for as we've talked about already lower the fucking budget god damn if they're not if it's not doing as well mm-hmm. in the theaters then maybe you guys should make it for less and again pay the writers and actors what they're due not every act- act- actor or writer specifically, maybe 
0.05% of the actors and writers in the industry are like the big well-off ones. You know, there's so many writers and actors that are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, trying to pay rent, trying to pay their bills. And if you don't, for example, pay them their residuals, uh, they can't continue to live and try and work their, Mm -hmm. their job. So I don't understand the whole kind of like trying to paint the, and maybe it's just cause you know, not everybody I'm sure, you know, a bunch of people think like, Oh, like you act in, in Hollywood or you write in Hollywood, you must be, you know, making it, making the bank and, you know, raking in all the money when that's just not, that's not what happens. That's not the reality. And so I don't yeah. know if this comment was to kind of, uh, you know, get the people that think that way on their side to be like, what are these actors and writers complaining about? You know, they get, they get compensated. Uh, great. You know, I just, it was just a very bizarre comment to me. And especially for someone who tone deaf, tone deaf and somebody who I feel like out of all the executives has the most goodwill with consumers. I feel like you just kind of threw that away. (laughs) Dude, that is exactly what I said last yeah. week. Like, literally, I said – I, like, couldn't believe that I said that on the show last week. I literally was like, you know, out of Zaslav and all them, you know, Iger's the one that, you know, has the most public goodwill. Mm. And then literally a day later, all this ha- – and I was just like, well, there you go. <laughs> I, and I literally said the words, Iger hasn't been the villain of this yeah. strike. <laughs> and then there you go, <laughs> just immediately foot-in-mouth disorder. Uh, and I – Jeff Snyder kept using this term, and I – I keep I don't think it's unwanted, but I think it's like unwanted error, mm-hmm. I think. Unwarranted. Which is just basically like Or something like that. Who is making these decisions at yeah. Disney that, you know, y- you are like I said, foot and mouth disease of you are literally voluntarily going on TV and just getting the worst press possible for yourself mm-hmm. that no one else made you say that. You know, no I, I was watching the interview. No Nobody had a had a wire on on the back of Bob Iger, you know, making him say stuff. <laughs> and I I just think you know, it, it's just so crazy to me that you would choose at a time where you were definitely in a writer strike, and you knew that there was a potential that while you're giving the interview, SAG could mm-hmm. be going on strike. You know, it ended up going through a couple hours later. But, like, while you're giving the interview, you know that you are virtually on the verge of an actor's strike and the writer's strike that has already been going on. To give those comments, it was just it just absolutely insane. And, again, I think people are pointing out accurately uh, that, you know, you got to keep in perspective. You can you can complain all you want about Iger making $27 million, but don't, don't lose sight of the big fish in the pond. And that's, in the past five years, David Zaslav has made a combined... $498 million in salaries and bonuses in the past five years at either Warner Brothers Discovery or just Discovery before that. And also Walter Hamada uh, at Warner Brothers before that was making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars as well. So although Bob Iger is a insanely high paid executive, he is not even the biggest fish in this pond. You know, he, there are, there is Zaslav and other people above him as well. That, that are, you know, just, you know, like you said, woe is me of how are you complaining that these people want, you know, I, I'm not sure the percentages, but I know I remember distinctly that they talked about everything the writers want is a 2% impact mm-hmm. to, to bottom line. That's it. And now you could say, well, 2% is a lot. Sure it is. But 
you can't have any percent if you don't have the people who make mm -hmm. the content. Like, that's the thing is that, you know, and I know Iger also said, you know, we all, we made a very good deal with the directors and, you know, basically one of the proposals that they gave to the Screen Actors Guild was, well, here's the percentage increase that we gave to the directors. That's what we're going to offer you. And that's why a lot of people were very upset when the Directors Guild voted to uh, take the proposal and, and made that, you know, midnight deal as it's referred to, because now everything's going to be compared to, well, the directors accepted mm. that. Why can't you guys right. accept that? And, you know, is that completely fair to the directors? Not necessarily. If they were happy with their proposal, there's no need for them to force themselves to be out of work. I, I understand that too, but, you know, it's just tough because it's where, where do you draw the line between solidarity and, you know, having to look after your own people too. Mm -hmm. So I, I can understand that from the directors, but let's dig in a little bit deeper to this uh, SAG strike and everything like that here. So TJ, I, I if you want to look at our notes here, if you want to just take one by one here, I'll highlight the, uh, the information and you can just kind of cherry pick. But the first one mm -hmm. that I really want to talk about, we don't even have to hit on all of these. I have some ones that I really want to hit to, and then some ones that people, I, I'm not seeing a lot of people talk about some of these other things. But the first one that obviously is probably the biggest thing for the actors, whereas obviously the AI component was is yeah. right now, along with pay, but, you know, the AI thing is really, really the big thing on the Writers Guild because it's, it's much easier for AI to write out text than it is to, you know, do these creative endeavors. But believe me, they are still trying to use AI to get rid of actors. Uh, but the biggest thing here is residuals. So this is not even talking about just base payment, which is another issue that they're talking about. But the residual system essentially, think about back in the day. Let's let's use Alan Alda as an example. Alan Alda was on MASH for nine mm. years. Alan Alda's residual, residual checks for MASH were probably for decades, thousands of dollars every time he got a residual check. Thousands of dollars. And you get a residual check every single month from your guild you get a residual check every month and it was probably thousands of dollars and i'm just using alan alda as an example for mash that was the first thing that came to my head you can say ted danson for whatever maybe even a better example let's say kelsey grammar on mm -hmm. cheers right not ted danson on cheers but kelsey grammar is he in every episode or most episodes yes but he's not the biggest guy in the show still kelsey grammar even without fraser could have lived off of his residual checks for Cheers because they were just that much money. You're now talking about, and, and that is because Nielsen ratings would release the accurate count of how much viewership each one of these titles was getting on original runs, reruns, syndication, everything like that. Everything was tracked. I mean, you could you used to be able to get a Nielsen book sent to your house showing you the TV ratings. You could check the TV <laughs> ratings in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you, TV ratings were such an accurate metric that you could, you know, set your watch to them. You know, they were that accurate. And now when you're hearing people say nebulous things like Netflix doesn't release its numbers, this is what you're talking about is Netflix goes Red Notice is the number one thing we've ever had on Netflix, you know, and a, a big title that was in the original Netflix heydays that is getting a lot of press this week is Orange is mm -hmm. the New Black, uh, obviously a huge successful show for them. 
a ton of actors and actresses from uh, Orange is the New Black coming forward saying, you know, that their residual checks are 80 cents a month. Yeah. Not hundreds of dollars, not tens of well, dollars. 81 cents a month. Can I tell you real quick why the stuff about Netflix did Go not for it. surprise me whatsoever? It's because they just operate on billions of dollars of debt. So what makes mm-hmm. me think that they would be paying their actors or writers fine residuals when – they can't even, you know, afford to. They barely run their own business for Christ's sake, you know. <laughs> like they're struggling as it yeah, is. Exactly. So, you know, to me that that was not surprising whatsoever. <clears throat> yeah, I and I know there's and there's tons. You could just go on Twitter. There's discussing film is just putting out, you know, basically just quotes of actors on the right. picket lines. You know, saying things. I know uh, Jessica Chastain was on the picket lines today, literally reading out statistics about it but uh here's a little bit more on just the overall pay increase so basically the the long and short of the residual thing is they want these streamers to release their full numbers so that they can get the equivalent residuals to network tv basically because you know network tv is dying so those aren't thousands of dollars anymore because people aren't watching network tv the way that they're watching so those are going down and the streaming residuals are basically next to nothing because they're just not accurately telling these uh, guilds how much and how many people are watching. So they really have no accountability to be honest with how much they owe these actors, which is crazy. And again, there's just tons, there's dozens of examples that you can look up for every single one of these uh, kind of points that we're going to talk about here. The next one is just that base pay that we were talking about of the same percentage increase that they gave the directors. Basically, in the a- the AMPTP, which is the Producers Guild, so basically all the heads of all the studios and all the streamers, that is basically who these strikes are against uh, is because they are the kind of voting body that, that decides on these kind of things. Basically, it says that in their proposal, it gave the it gave a 5% overall increase to most minimum rates in the first year of the contract, which is the same offer that they made the Directors Guild. SAG argued that that does not keep pace with inflation and has demanded uh, 11% for the first uh, minimum, uh, sorry, for the first minimum uh, year contract. Uh, and they basically came back saying, no, we will not mm-hmm. do that. And then overall here, the number SAG is looking for an increase of 230% increase in foreign streaming residuals, uh, according to a studio source. The AMPTP is offering the same increase provided to the DGA, which is a 76% increase. So basically, if your residual check is a dollar, the uh, SAG is arguing, you know, it should be $230. Or sorry, technically, wouldn't that make it three? three dollars and 30 cents because if it's a 230 percent increase that would mean mm-hmm. that's I'm not on top math. of what they're already making right <laughs> so don't ask okay me. fair enough says yeah, the account exactly but uh <laughs> but man that's a great ben affleck movie <laughs> the accountant basically giving them the shit mm-hmm. end of the stick because to be honest like you said you know, there is like the 1% of actors that, you know, don't have to worry about a lot of this stuff. And then there's the other 155,560 actors that are in SAG. So you take the first top 1% of 
500 actors. If you took the top 500 actors, that's all your Meryl Streeps, your Paul Rudds, your Benedict Cumberbatches, your, you know, everybody, your Chris Hemsworths. If you took all of them out of there, you would still be left with 155,000 SAG members. SAG consists of 160,000 actors most of which can't even afford health care. I believe Jessica Chastain was the one who said uh, that 87% of SAG does not meet the yearly minimum of income uh, to qualify for health care through the union, which is just absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. um, $3.03, three you're right. Now, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, you know, they, they want basically fair pay here. Another big one is the self-tape audition. So during COVID, because casting offices were closed everything like that the self-tape became basically the only way that you were going to get a job which is you know set mm -hmm. your phone up on a on a stand set it up on a pile of books and record yourself and send it into us hey we're going to take that just like any other uh you know audition we promise you know we won't hold it against you uh, which a lot of people are thinking, you know, still that it is kind of held against you that, you know, it's not going to be taken as seriously as if you're in the room. So a big uh, other thing they want is to go back. Really what they want is to go back to the original system of in-person auditioning because they argue that that experience making those connections in casting offices is basically, you know, that is in, in essential components of being an actor is being able to go to these places, meet other actors, meet casting directors, get in the room, essentially. And if you're just doing everything from home, you know, it's not not basically the same. It's not giving you the mm -hmm. same ability. So they want that to be tamped down. And the best that they came back for uh, in their proposal was that they would make efforts to lessen, basically, the amount of self-tape auditions out there. So before we get into some of these other things, let's just talk in general about uh about all this stuff about the the strike and everything what are, what are your thoughts overall how do you feel about it what is some of the stuff that you want to you want to hit on here and that goes for chat as well uh, sorry let me look at the notes real quick uh yeah can we can we just talk about the whole ai thing which that i thought was just let's go for completely it yeah and the background actors and owning them yeah forever. so you didn't see uh basically one of the things that the AMPTP brought to the negotiating table was that uh, the use of AI where they would, you know, scan a background actor, an extra or whatever, and, you know, they pay them for that day, but then they would own their likeness in perpetuity and they would, they could use them in anything and they wouldn't have to get their consent. And mm -hmm. I, I, I heard somebody relate that to, uh, <laughs> like stock images yes. yeah. today. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was Jennifer Landa on, on the Force Center podcast. She was like, you know, I did stock images and Simu Lu, everybody mm. was like making fun of him that, that he, there's yeah. a lot of stock images out right. there for him. But like, that's kind of the same thing as you go into Getty images or stock images, you know, a place like that, they pay you a couple grand and literally the deal is they get to use your picture forever right. for whatever people want. And this would basically be the same thing for actors but yeah sorry continue it's just it's, it's just, just a, crazy. it's a bizarre like kind of like they're asking for these things and then they're gonna go to the table and be like yeah but like 
what if we just owned your likeness like forever, you know, and, and we would mm-hmm. only have to pay them for the day and then they wouldn't have to, you know, they wouldn't have to come and show up ever again. Like, why would, why would anybody do that? That makes absolutely no sense. Why yeah. in the, why in the world would <clears throat> that, would the union agree to that? Just like, a, again, like a bizarre kind of like, and to say that opinion. it was and just the AMPTP <laughs> said that they rejected a groundbreaking yeah. proposal. Mm-hmm groundbreaking for what of how fucking insane it is like what are you talking about like owning people's likenesses and uh i think it was in dan's video i didn't re-watch it so you might have to correct me was was he the one that talked about the ben affleck and matt damon thing i don't think so okay so basically you know uh i don't know how many people know this i didn't know this until i heard the story that they start ben affleck and matt damon started their entire hollywood careers as background performers mm. in movies in Boston. Oh, okay. And they got to talking and they made connections on set and that led one thing into another that led, you know, eventually getting, you know, work on other things, Saving Private Ryan, Chasing Amy, going, you know, into making their own movie with Goodwill Hunting and winning an Academy Award. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Matt Damon being one of the biggest stars in the world, Ben Affleck being one of the biggest stars and directors in the world right now. And, Imagine if instead, and those original contacts were made on set as background actors, imagine if instead, you know, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon went, got filmed for a couple of days, uh, and then, you know, got a big $2,000 check and went, oh my God, two grand, awesome, and then never worked in Hollywood Mm. ever again because the studio just owned their likeness and never needed them to come back. Like, that's basically what we're talking about here. It's not just thinking about you know, how terrible that is on the human level, but think about how much talent would go to waste if, you know, they just went to Meryl Streep when she was 25 and went, you know what, Meryl, you've been great in these first couple movies, but, you know, we can actually just, if you just sit in this booth for for a minute or two for us, record some lines in a voiceover booth so that we can, you know, build this AI model, you're actually good. And we'll get, but we'll give you five grand. We'll give you five grand for it. Oh, for each time you use my, where is the line here? Just, just once. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, you know, you look at, obviously the pieces have been there in front of us all like for a long time. I mean, Peter Cushing was recreated. Mm -hmm. His family approved of that one, but you know, what is, and we're seeing it right now with a movie that's out right now. Last time I checked, Christopher Reeve uh, has no living relatives, yeah. no living representation. Uh, so who approved of that cameo in The Flash for him to be recreated? Uh, and who would get that money? Uh, who is running the Christopher Reeve estate? Did anybody give permission to that? That's just one example of, of just Christopher Reeve in a movie that just came mm-hmm. out. Not to mention George Reeves, who is a much darker tale of really having no family uh you know left alive of you know who knows if even anybody even approved of any of these cameos of these deceased actors you know so there's very different situations that you know i think really mean a lot of different things but then you look at the voice side of it too with luke skywalker and james earl jones and you know with darth vader of these ai engines now can be used to just recreate these actors' entire performances. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than having a stand-in actor, like, think about Luke in Book of Boba Fett, right? Right now, 
you need a stand-in actor to apply a deep fake mm-hmm. to but how long until you can just apply a deep fake to a cgi character you know when when that happens it's all right. over when you can just throw a deep fake onto a cgi actor that's it that's that's the last step that they need and then you you got mark hamill's out the window and you got luke skywalker for the rest of time in the worst ways possible uh so i mean there's just it's just insane but what what else uh you want to hit on here and then i'll, I'll read some of these chats um, too that I, I haven't gotten to let's do the residuals one because again i th- i just find that so interesting like you said orange is the new black you know Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Gunn uh, talking about his residual checks from Gilmore Girls. Uh, you know, yeah. some people saying he was in like a hundred episodes, of that <clears> show. right? Some people saying, "Oh, you know, I I made eighty cents, you know, on that show, etc." Uh, just all kind of just, you know, it's again when people think when people think, "Oh, you know, you work in Hollywood, that means you, you know, you must be really like raking in." It's really not the case. Uh, except for that yeah. like small percentage of people that you like are like the really big ba- names, you know them, you know, they're in the, in the cultural zeitgeist as they say. Um, mm. you know, that's just, it's just, <clears throat> and then again, like we said, the producer or the, you know, the executives come and complain and the, Oh my God, they're asking for all this money and you know, we can barely stay afloat. And it's like, cut, just, you know, yeah. come on, like stop, stop playing the whole you know what was me card you know we don't make enough money it's like how about you take maybe you take a pay cut and then the, the, so the actors and writers who actually you know make the movies that the audiences want to see uh so that they can get paid a decent uh, a living wage and i don't know if you saw but right before we went live there was this uh story about the the live action what is it no oh, the, yeah the master universe 30 million dollars Yeah, the Masters of the Universe movie, they scrapped it. After three years of production, they cast Noah Centennial, uh, $30 million worth of production, and then they just cut it. But they don't have $15 million to pay their writers better uh, uh, or or money to pay their actors better. And then the the whole story about Ted Sarandos years and years ago at this party Mm -hmm. at his house giving this speech saying, uh, oh, Orange is the New Black is doing more viewership than game of thrones uh when at that exact time the majority of the orange is the new black cast was making you know ten thousand dollars an episode some of them were making you know up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars an episode but then at the same time kit harrington and amelia clark were making nine hundred a million dollars per episode on game of thrones so it's like a lot of the Orange is the New Black cast was like, wait, what was that? Mm-hmm. We're being watched more than Game of Thrones? Then why am I making literally 10 times less than the actors on Game of Thrones that you know are getting accurately reported numbers? And so you just think about that with Orange is the New Black, and then you think about that with all these Netflix shows. And I really want to know, you know, wh- what about some of the more current Netflix stuff? Like, where is when is Millie Bobby Brown mm-hmm. going to come out? and talk about, you know, maybe some of her pay, or maybe even somebody further down the cast list, like uh, Joseph Quinn, right, who played Eddie Munson yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. this most mm-hmm. recent season of of him. What are what are his Stranger Things residuals looking yeah. like? You know what I mean? Because I would assume they're not thousands yeah. of dollars, I would assume. Uh, but then also it's like, you know, and it'd be one thing if, okay, well, 
maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe the streaming residuals aren't that much, but don't streaming actors get paid way more, like, as, as just a paycheck? No, not really necessarily, no. That's, that's not usually how it works. I mean, because you are, you're going in, signing a contract, assuming, seeing the percentage going, oh, okay, that's the <coughs> yeah. same percentage I make on this. The problem is, when it's a percentage of views, if Netflix is the one saying what the views are, and if they're under-reporting those numbers, you're not going to make as much money. I mean, as, as you know, people that are are not as affected by this uh, are like you look at, you know, some actors that are on uh, like network shows like a Grey's Anatomy mm -hmm. or stuff, you know, their residuals don't look that much different because those are still on there. And that's why you see, you know, some actors being really upset when when shows are moved from network to streaming. That's another big problem is, you know, a show like. I don't know, I'll throw it out, like, I don't know, like Chicago mm -hmm. Med or something. Like, when Chicago Med gets aired on Peacock, you know, are they making as much money as they made when it aired on uh, CBS or or on NBC? I don't think so. You know, and that's, that's the problem is that there's really no way to know without these streaming services being forced to accurately... Uh, report their numbers and and a, and a proposal that sag after made was well listen if you don't want to release your numbers we're not we don't necessarily want that we just want some reliable way to track all of this so they came together and they said well what if we go through a third party with this parrot analytics company which dan merle actually he uses them to do his streaming charts and to track certain streaming numbers uses oh, okay. this website parrot parrot yeah. analytics to which the amptp said well no you can't use them either because they're just not reliable <laughs> and it's like well okay so i can't use a third party and i can't use a first party because you won't let mm -hmm. me know them so i just can't know how much money i'm owed and they basically just went yep basically you we're just not going to tell you how much money you're owed uh which is just I insane think, but i, I mean I, I think i might soon hop on the train of uh you know some of these streaming services i think i think they might be you know kind of dead you know sooner rather than later yeah i mean you as much as i like the content on paramount yeah. plus that's the big one right now is that you know th so many articles come out just paramount plus is just like you know they have left i think about niagara falls they have leveraged themselves so far over mm. the edge of the what's the uh I was associated with Obama, the fiscal right. cliff, right? Everybody used to talk about the we're, we're inching towards the fiscal cliff. Paramount has is, is has got their big toe stuck on mm. the cliff, and everything else is hanging off over the yeah. edge and right now. One last thing I'll say, you know, we've seen it more and more. I feel like it's something we haven't seen a lot till very recently, maybe yeah. ever. I could be wrong, but the whole kind of just removing mm. things off of services obviously you know we have like netflix you know yeah. the licensing out oh license expires okay you know whatever but like mm -hmm. the whole kind of uh you know we saw with paramount plus like you said like the whole rise of the pink ladies thing like they just took it off the service yeah so so do those actors mm -hmm. everybody nobody gets those residuals. and then a month later it got nominated right for so nobody Emmys. gets those residuals correct <laughs> you know it's not showing there's no audience correct. for it but like can you like yeah how, to me like how is that like 
That seems very yeah. Legal. Like it just seems very like very. <laughs> yeah, <shady>. I don't know. <laughs> like I, I just this one tweet just sticks with me. I think it was Lon Harris. Uh, I he just said, you know, with the amount of like these deleting this for, you know, so you can make a show, and then just be like, oh, it didn't do that good. All right, never mm-hmm. mind. We deleted the show forever. The show's All gone. Right. Don't worry about it. And then to, like, somehow recoup something on it? Like, at what point does this stop being a business tactic and start just being, like, fraud or, like, money laundering? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, at at what point? You can't just, like, put $100 million into a project and then just be like, oh, we didn't make enough money back, so we're just going to delete it so we don't have to pay Mm -hmm. anybody. Like, at at what point is that just, like, a a literal crime? I don't know. But, all right, to close out here, let's talk uh, a little bit about these uh, chats that we got here. Michelle in the chat says, uh, Marvel uh, pushing back, or Marvel pulling back a bit, I can see. I think things are suffering on quality. They need to put as much heart into them uh, like the first phases. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is an example of doing it right. I think we both agree with that for sure. As far as Star Wars, the content is getting better. The shows especially have really been coming out very cinematic looks. I can agree with that. I think, you know, story-wise on Mando Season 3, maybe not the best, but I think it was definitely the best-looking season so far. And then, obviously, Andor, I think just fantastic on that front. And then Iger made himself the villain of this strike. He's out of touch and had an air of elitist uh, about him during that interview. It was unsettling. And then, in order to qualify for health insurance under SAG, you have to earn $26,000 during that year. And it isn't even a full year. It's just... It's just the time after you got to that 26000 Yeah, so exactly. So you have to, the minimum requirement is to make $26,000. That makes you eligible for the health care. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, that's not like a rolling uh, health care year. That means, let's say it took you until March to make $26,000 as an actor. That means your health insurance wouldn't start until March. It's not like they then backdate it to the end of the or to the beginning of the year. Uh, it's okay. You've hit the threshold. Now we'll give you health insurance. So it's it's basically I- I insane that that so many people don't qualify for it because it's almost just an impossible metric to hit if you're not somebody that's you know the the marquee name on a poster or something like that or even the marquee name on a on a mm-hmm. network show. And then the last thing she said was, it's just like our economy, the top 1% gets billions and the rest of us are getting 70 cent residual checks. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all it's all the same animal. It's all the same beast at the end of the day, but really terrible stuff, uh, unfortunately. But we will continue to talk about it. We will continue to check in on it, everything like that. TJ, anything else uh, you want to talk about with the SAG strike before we wrap things up? Here no, tonight? I think that's, uh, that's all I got. Again, really kind of just... A shitty situation hopefully you know the writers and actors mm-hmm. get their due but you know we could be in this for another few months i know i've heard like october yep. you know november but yeah yeah it's just crazy again we talked about at the very very top of the show that uh if you just joining us now you know we are not a member of sag we are not a member of the wga we of course are in solidarity with them with their efforts and everything like that but things are going to continue on this channel just like normal for now. You know, we will be covering Ahsoka when it comes out. I may be covering the end of Secret Invasion if it gets a little bit better. But, uh, you know, 
stay tuned. Uh, be sure, uh, you know, if you're watching this right now, give a give a like, give a comment. If you're watching this on the replay, make sure you subscribe. We are on our pathway to 600 subscribers. Thanks to you guys. We really appreciate it. And then the last thing I'll tell you, too, right up there in the corner, follow us at the official PFN on Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and potentially now Threads. Uh, I think I'm going to migrate our, our Instagram over to Threads. But, you know, Threads is, I think, still in its very uh, early infancy. But uh, follow us on all those platforms. Mm -hmm. And uh, until then, I think that will do it for us. I have been one of your hosts. Sean Monk, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. Host, TJ Cornwell, thank you for watching. Uh, please like, comment, subscribe. Let us know what you thought about any of the topics uh, in the comments below, and we will see you next time. Boom.